0: Let's just read the chapter together, please. Uh, chapter 2 of Micah. Just after the book of Jonah. Woe to them that devise iniquity and work evil upon their beds. And the morning is light, they practice it because it is in the power of their hand. And they covet fields and take them by violence, and houses and take them away. So they oppress a man in his house, every, even a man in his heritage. Therefore thus saith the Lord... Behold, against this family do I devise an evil from which ye shall not remove your necks. Neither shall ye go haughtily, for this time is evil. In that day shall one take up a parable against you and lament with a doleful lamentation and say, We be utterly spoiled. He hath changed the portion of my people. How hath he removed it from me? Turning away, he hath divided our fields. Therefore thou shalt have none. That shall cast a cord by lot in the congregation of the Lord. Prophesy ye not, say that to them that prophesy. They shall not prophesy to them that they shall not take shame. O thou that art named the house of Jacob, is the spirit of the Lord straightened. Are these his doings? Do not my words do good to him that walketh uprightly? Even of late my people has risen up as an enemy. Ye pull off the robe with a garment from them that pass by securely as men averse from war. The woman of my people have ye cast out from their pleasant houses. From their children have ye taken away my glory forever. Arise ye and depart, for this is not your rest. Because it is polluted, it shall destroy you, even with a sore destruction. If a man walking in the spirit and falsehood do lie, saying, I will prophesy unto thee of wine and of strong drink, he shall even be the prophet of this people. I will surely assemble, O Jacob, all of thee. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together as the sheep of Basra, as the flock in the midst of their fold. They shall make great noise by reason of the multitude of men. The breaker has come up before them. They have broken up and have passed through the gate and are gone out by it. And their king shall pass before them and the Lord on the head of them. Amen. Uh, just ending there at the end of the chapter. know oh, the Lord will bless the reading to our hearts. Micah, of course, the prophet of the Lord has been showing a complacent people that God's judgment was coming upon them because of their sin. for chapter 1, he uses the example of Samaria, the capital city in the northern region, and his focus is now on Judah and on Jerusalem. That judgment will come in the form of an encroaching army invading into the land. But it is clear that the reason was not because of some political weakness on the part of Judah, but rather it was because of their disobedience to the Lord. And what he proceeds to do in these opening verses is point out the main culprits. And you found wealth had come into the country in the days of Uzziah the king, but had only come into the hands of a few, and they were using it for their own selfish ends, and they were those who were in positions of influence. You'll note here, I know, the fitting punishment. What they did is obvious from these verses. Micah commences the chapter by using a word that is often heard at funerals. He says, Woe. It's a word that is used by other of the uh, prophets. You can think of Habakkuk, and he uses it, uh, as does Naaman as well. But the woe is upon them because they devised iniquity. There was an abuse of power by those who were in authority. And so they abused their power in order to trouble others. This, the behavior was sustained. You will read from these verses that they plotted it. They planned it upon their beds. They couldn't wait to the morning light in in order to practice that iniquity that they had plotted. And men and women, it boils down to this, they were intent on accumulating wealth and riches. They had more than they could desire Or know what to do with. There's a a love of money here. Even with those who are in authority. But the love of money had taken them away. The only investment opportunity for them in those days was houses and lands. You look at verse 2. And they covered fields. Take them by violence. And houses and take them away, so they oppress a man and his house, even a man and his heritage. You turn back to Isaiah, and of course you'll know I've said to you that Isaiah was a contemporary of Micah. He was in the same time as Micah. And Isaiah brings it out in chapter 5, verse 8. He says, Woe unto them that join house to house, that lay field to field, till there be no place, that they may be placed alone. In the midst of the earth. it's happening in his time. It's happening with Micah. There was a covetousness to join house to house. One wasn't enough. They had to get more. To lay field to field. And there's a selfish purpose in it all. The rich were using violence to acquire the houses and the lands. They were evicting the poor people who did not want to sell them. And as a countryman, Micah, of course, wasn't from Jerusalem. We looked at the verse 1 of chapter 1 where he was from. He's out in the country. And as a countryman, he could witness this for himself. There was the loss of the small family holdings and the small farms. But the problem to Micah, it wasn't something of a social injustice. You hear a lot about this today. It wasn't even something in his mind about cruelty. But the problem was it was a spiritual problem, it was a heart problem, and the society was merely reflecting what they had done with God. There was an alienation from God. That's why he deliberately uses the word in verse 2. He says, And they covet houses, fields, and take them by violence and houses and take them away. It reminds them, it reminds us of the 10th commandment. Thou shalt not covet. There was no regard for the law of God. A man and woman does not not just remind us, before we go any further, of the days of Ahab. You remember Ahab? And he had his palace. Old Jezebel was the wife. I want to tell you I'll say this, I'm sure, during my ministry again, I hate anything to do with Jezebel. She's a wicked woman. But Ahab coveted Naboth's vineyard because it lay next to the palace. And did not he oppress that man? Jezebel got in on the act. And of course we know that Naboth was unjustly killed. The people of Jerusalem, you see, or Israel I should say, they had been taught that the land was God's. And the land had been entrusted to them and to their families. And that because that was so, then they weren't to transfer it to others. That's where Naboth comes from. Leviticus chapter 25, verse 23 brings it out to us. It says, The land shall not be sold forever, for the land is mine. For ye are strangers and sojourners with me. They weren't to give away their land. They weren't to give away their their possession. That the Lord had given to them. And that's why Naboth was loath to give up his inheritance. Even for whatever money that Ahab could give him. He didn't want to give away his inheritance. He was an ungodly man. Besides the fact. But now in Micah's day. There's a whole lot of Ahab's. And they're trampling upon the statutes of God. They didn't care about God's law. And so we ought not to be surprised when we read that the Lord intervenes here. His treatment of them is going to match their behaviour. They had devised evil, now God would devise evil against them. It's likened to a yoke that was placed on the neck of the animal, and no matter what way that animal turned, it could not get rid of the yoke of the yoke itself the same way these people could not escape the punishment that was coming toward them they would no longer, the word is used haughtily there in verse 3 they would no longer walk with pride pride goeth before a fall they would no longer walk in that manner because a calamity was coming upon them man and women is not the same principle true to this day Don't we read in the scriptures? Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. That's what you're reading about in chapter 2 of Micah. They're going to reap what they've sowed. In the day of the Lord's intervention against the land, the prosperity of the land grabbers would be reversed. They who first Sang about them or of themselves. Now turn the words in bitter derision against those who oppressed them. And Micah drives home the application in the words of verse five, Therefore thou there shalt have none that shall cast a cord by lot in a congregation of the Lord. What's he referring to? He's referring to the time when they entered into Canaan. When they did so, the land in Canaan was divided between the various tribes. And so you have Judah, and you have Manasseh on the other side, and you have all Simeon, and you have all the different tribes. You look a map at the back of your Bible, you will maybe see one of those maps has that division, and they were divided out by Lot. But Micah looks forward to the day when the Lord convenes all things for the purpose of redistributing the land. And those who took advantage will have no say And they'll have no representative. And they'll have no descendant in that assembly of the people. Because of their sin, they will have no portion, even in the restored land. They would receive, you see, the very fitting punishment. But then, you'll notice, he also speaks about the false prophets. Micah is a prophet of the Lord. But there were others who claimed to be prophets. They presented a different message. They wanted to silence Micah. They wanted to silence all those that were in agreement with Micah. Micah, the man of God, was telling the truth. They were so sure that disgrace wouldn't come upon them. They are depending on the fact they are part of God's covenant people. But what they failed to see was the need for obedience in the living as God's people. They thought that they would there would be no end to their prosperity. God would remain with them no matter what. We could say tonight their theology was askew. Their theology wasn't good. They grasped the divine promises. They wanted to enjoy the blessings. But they underplayed the obedience that God required. And that he would reward. You look at Deuteronomy chapter 5. What Moses says to them just before they cross over into that promised land. Verse 22. These words the Lord spake unto all your assembly in the mount out of the midst of the fire. Of the cloud of the thick darkness with a great voice. And he added no more. And he wrote them in two tables of stone and delivered unto me. And it came to pass when ye heard the voice out of the midst of the darkness. For the mountain did burn with fire. That ye came near unto me even all the heads of your tribes and your elders. This is the commandment following the words of commandment there. They were commanded to obey. They were commanded to keep the word of God and what God had spoken unto them. What the Lord says to his people tells them how to behave. And it ought therefore to be a source of good which brings blessing. But that has not been so with Judah. Look at verse eight Even of late my people has risen up as an enemy. You pull off the robe with a garment from them that pass by securely as men averse from war. There's a picture there. God says you're acting like the troops that return from the war. And you're taking the spoils. You're plundering the people. You're pilchering. You're stealing from off them. They robbed the passerby. And their despicable behaviour didn't even stop there. It went to the stage where, as far as they were destroying the very fabric of family life. Verse nine The woman of my people have you cast out from their pleasant houses. From their children have you taken away my glory forever. They targeted the woman. They targeted the children. They were grabbing the land, preventing the children and the next generation from enjoying their privileged possession. The verdict of God's judgment on their actions. It comes to a head in verse 10. Arise ye and depart. For this is not your rest, because it is polluted. It shall destroy you, even with a sore destruction. Those who evicted others were divinely put out themselves. Get out. This wasn't their resting place. The land had been given for rest. The land had been given for fellowship. But now that land had been defiled. That land had been ruined. And that land was beyond all remedy because of their sin. They would not be permitted to dwell in it. God says get out. They had broken God's covenant. And in verse 11 Micah again speaks of the false prophet. He's one who walks and lies. And in uh, deceit he's a deceiver. They just speak a pleasant message. A message that fits into what the people wanted to hear. And God would give them such prophets. You'll notice that God no longer calls them my people. But he says this people. He says, I'll prophesy unto thee of wine and a strong drink. He shall even be the prophet of this people. He stands aloof from them. They would have their prophets. But they would be prophets he did not send unto them. And men and women, isn't the warnings all there about the danger that ensues with the love of money? This is the background to their sin. Money has come in and they have accrued it wrongly and they have selfishly desired it above everything else. They have made it their God. Nothing wrong with earning money, of course. We all need it. But a love of money is the root of all evil. And here, chapter 2, is it illustrated for us. And isn't it interesting that in the same epistle that Paul warns Timothy about those very dangers of the love of money, is the very same epistle that he speaks about the false prophets in those days in the last days. First Timothy chapter four, verse two, one and two. He says, "Now the Spirit speaketh expressly." And in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. He says in Second Timothy chapter 3, there will be those who will have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof, verse 5, from such turn away. Verse 7, ever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They'll turn their ears away. But Timothy chapter four preach the word Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. The same very epistles that Paul warns about the love of money being the root of all evil. He speaks about the false prophet. Day is marked by men turning away their ears from the truth. You know there's a little, par- little proverb that stands in opposition to the way of the selfish world. And it should be practiced by, by the people of God. Proverbs three twenty seven says this: Withhold not good from them to whom it is due, when it is in the power of thy hand to do it. Not everybody can do it, but those who have the power in their hand to do it, we are to withhold not good from them to whom it is due. Who's in need? There's the false prophets. God would give them to them. Their message. Would be without substance. Their message would be. There's plenty of wine. There's plenty of strong drink. But they lie. There's one final thought. There's a blessed hope here. You see. Verse 12 and verse 13 of this chapter is a complete turnaround from what has gone previously. Essentially it is from judgment to hope. There's a bright light that shines from a dark place. And so while the false prophets promise peace and security from the Lord, no matter how the people behaved, it's Micah who speaks the truth. First he spoke to expose their sin, chapter 1. He moves on from that in the order and he speaks then of God's judgment coming into chapter 2. And finally, there is the restoration and the blessing. The last two verses. So while judgment would invariably come from God, yet it would not be the last word on his people. And there's verses here that should encourage us to look beyond whatever darkness prevails in this our day, at this hard time, and the immediate prospects of God's people to a time when the day dawns and the morning star arises. Well that's how Peter puts it. Second Peter 1, verse 19. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Where ye do well that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. That's Christ's return. Until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. These two verses they present pictures of what the Lord would do for his people. The background was one of an invasion by the enemy. The Assyrian would come in. The Assyrian would wreak havoc and capture many towns. But Jerusalem would be spared. Jerusalem wouldn't fall. In Micah chapter 1, he is foretold that Jerusalem would be a difficult place. It would be in a difficult spot. It would be surrounded by the Assyrian, the enemy. But they who trust in the Lord, he would provide safety for them. And the dominant note of verse 12, if I can read it with you, is one of the certainty of deliverance. You see it? He says, I will surely assemble, O Jacob, all of thee. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together as the sheep of Basra, as the flock in the midst of their fold. They shall make great noise by reason of the multitude of men. He says, I will surely assemble. I will surely gather. You see, men and women, the promises of the Lord are sure, they're certain. You can depend on the word of God. Whatever promise God has given you today or this week, you can rest on that. And God says, I will surely assemble. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. The situation is one where the people have been scattered, probably in terror and fear, before the advancing army. But the picture is of the divine shepherd. He's coming to the rescue. What does the shepherd do? shouldn't need to tell anybody around Market Hill what a shepherd does there's a few around the country and the sheep are scattered he gathers them and he brings them into the pen he might use a dog these days but he gets them into the fold because in the fold they're secure and they're all there they're all counted in and that's the picture that is in verse 12. You look at the end of it. He says, I will put them together as the sheep of or as the flock in the midst of their fold. They were secure there. And they had nourishment in the pasture. And Jerusalem would become this pen, this sheepfold, this place of security before the advancing king. And is that not the theme that John alludes to in John chapter ten? He speaks of the good shepherd, the good shepherd that giveth his life for the sheep. He speaks of the thief that cometh, seeketh to come by another way into the fold, but he alone is the door. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, shall go in and out. And find pasture. And the promise that the divine shepherd ensures to the flock his flock is that none of them will be lost. Verse 27 My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. He says they're saved. I give unto my sheep eternal life. Will you take that as a word to your heart tonight? Because the devil comes and tries to place many a doubt in our hearts and our minds. You have failed the Lord. You have let the Lord down. You're not saved. You're not walking like somebody saved. And despite it all, the shepherd says, I give unto my sheep eternal life. That's what he gave to you the day and hour when he saved you and me. He uses in verse 12 a word that is twofold. He used the word remnant. It speaks of disaster. It speaks of loss. But you know there's also a promise in it. while judgment would come, it wouldn't be a total disaster. It wouldn't be a total wipeout. For there would be divinely preserved a remnant. A remnant. And I've used the illustration of my mother as a seamstress before. There's always pieces of cloth after she would be a dress or use the pattern to cut it out. And that she gathered up and she fired it into the bag and gave it to her customer. Just in case something happened to the dress, there was a remnant there. There was a remnant. And men and women, the remnant is spoken of here and will consist of a vast number. So much so that the place, you'll see from the words of verse 12, has a great noise in it because so many people will find protection within its walls, within that sheepfold. They shall make great noise by reason of the multitude of men. The other picture of the Lord's deliverance is not taken from the shepherd, but verse 13 it is as a liberator. Micah presents for us another future scene he has been permitted to see. The people are hemmed in. Yet the day of their liberation has arrived. There's one who breaks open the way before them. Let's read verse 13. The breaker has come up before them. They have broken up and passed through the gate and are gone out of it. It's a picture of Christ himself. The word that is used there, breaker, is used in other places in the Word of God. I want to show you some of them. You turn to Second Kings 14 and verse 13. 2 Kings 14. And verse 13 says, And Jehoiash, king of Israel, took Amaziah, the king of Judah, the son of Jehoias the son of Azariah at Beth Shemesh and came to Jerusalem and break down the wall of Jerusalem from the gate of Ephraim unto the corner gate 400 cubits. There it is in that little phrase. He came to Jerusalem. He break down the wall. Breaking down of a wall in a captured city. The same word is used. You come to Exodus chapter 19 you will see that the word is used with the Sense of a divine anger breaking out against those who offended God. Acts nineteen twenty two. Let the priests also which come near to the Lord sanctify themselves, lest the Lord break forth upon them. There it is again. The urging of someone into some action is also used by this word. First Samuel twenty eight, verse twenty three. But he refused and said, I will not eat. But his servants together with the woman compelled him. And he hearkened unto their voice. So he arose from the earth and sat upon the bed. That's Saul with the witch at Endor. They compelled him. There's the urging of him into an action. It's also used the power that sweeps all obstacles before it. Anything that would resist. In Isaiah 42, you'll see it is the Lord as a warrior overcoming his enemies. Isaiah 42, verse 13, the Lord shall go forth as a mighty man. He shall stir up jealously like the man of war. He shall cry, yea, roar. He shall prevail against his enemies. You bring all those thoughts together, and that's what is found in the word there that's used, the breaker. But the picture is not of a liberator coming from without to release those from within. The movement of the liberator is from within. And he's moving outwards. Not only is their freedom provided for them by another, but it is by one who has been with them. It's by one who has identified with them. And who shared in their lot. And having stated all of that. I just read to you Hebrews 2 and 14. Where it says. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood. He also himself. Likewise took part of the same. That through death. He might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil You see, the Lord became us. He identified with us. He took upon Himself our form and our nature. He came that He might liberate His people from their sin. This deliverance, their deliverance, is only because He will go before them through the gate and the gap made in the enemy line. Providing a path for them to follow. Maybe you can just picture it. Of a city under siege. And their liberator. Is dwelling with them. And he breaks forth. And he parts their lines. He truly is the captain of our salvation. He shows the path for his people to follow. We have nothing to do but follow. He has obtained the victory. He has defeated the arch enemy. He has set us gloriously free. The rescue did not depend on some human effort, but it all came from the Lord Himself. He is the King who will pass before them. Now, if you're remembering nothing else about Micah 2, remember the last words of it He's at the head of it. He's the head. He's the ruler over Israel. And he's the one that Micah prophesies of. In chapter 5 I will be born in Bethlehem. You see verse 2. But unto Bethlehem Ephrathah thou thou be little among the thousands of Judah. Yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be the ruler in Israel. Whose goings forth have been of old from everlasting. He's the one who's the shepherd. Verse 4. That stands and feeds in the strength of the Lord. It surely is a foreshadowing of Christ. And of his ministry. And the Lord on the head of them. What a wonderful Savior. The only means whereby a sinner can be brought from judgment unto hope everlasting. Is Christ. One who is King, one who is the shepherd, one who is the great liberator, one who identified with us. And that's what He's done for us. Brought from certain judgment because of our sin, not the hope everlasting, to be with Him, to reign with Him for all eternity. May the Lord bless His word even to our hearts tonight, as we've made our way through that little chapter two, the Book of Micah three five